Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. I'm glad you stopped by. This is Relentless Truth Rewind. I'm actually, for the first time, after recording 72 weeks of episodes and releasing an episode every week, I'm going to take a few weeks off over the Christmas holiday, and I'm going to take this opportunity to replay or rewind several episodes that you, the listener, reacted very positively to. Today is an episode featuring a conversation with my friend, Pastor Charlie Parrish. He's from Foothills Community Church in beautiful Marble Hill, Georgia. I think you're going to like his style. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So enjoy this episode of Relentless Truth Rewind. We'll be back the second Monday in January with new episodes. I have some exciting episodes planned. See you then. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you go to get your podcast. You can also go to johnwarrenmedia.com to learn more about our work. Use the comment form there to communicate with us, or you can send an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. It is my pleasure to welcome back Pastor Charlie Parrish. Charlie was with us a few weeks ago, and that episode, frankly, received more interest than any other episode of this Relentless Truth podcast. Charlie's a former full-time missionary to the country of Panama. He told the story in our last time together a few weeks ago about his family living there and then moving back to the States. He's the lead pastor at Foothills Community Church in beautiful Marble Hill, Georgia. And I'll let him tell us where that is exactly in a moment. It's just north of Atlanta. He's married to Lacey, and they have five children, Andy, Lincoln, Abel, Luke, and Haven. Charlie, it is an honor to have you here again. Welcome back. It's good to have you on the podcast. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be back with you. All right, I'm going to listen to the feedback that I got the last time we were together, and I'm going to get you to really unscripted respond to or address an issue that I think Paul and or Timothy address in the book of Colossians, and I know you've you've preached your way through that book, but I want to be, I just had Keith Ablo on last week, a psychiatrist who is a Christian, but I want you from a pastorally helpful perspective to maybe address a couple of topics in the brief time that we have here on the podcast from a pastoral perspective. And I think that'll contrast with kind of what we, uh, what I walked through with, uh, with Keith last week, because I do want to focus on, in this podcast, on, on biblical truth. I'm going to start in the middle of a thought, unfortunately, uh, to save time, in chapter 2 of Colossians, and I'm going to read just a quick section here, starting in verse 13. And you who were dead, beautiful promises here, and I'm going to try not to comment as we go, but, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. One of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. He, hmm. he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Then it goes on, and this is where it gets interesting. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, interesting word, and worship of angels, going on 
in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And then one last little paragraph. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to those things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, I read that section to get you, if you would, to comment, to get us to have a discussion on asceticism, what it, what it is, what it might look like today, but more importantly, our self-effort to do things that are spiritual, that look like they're awfully good, that look like they're pleasing to God. So I'm wondering if you would just, in the in the limited time that we have here, comment on this on this section. Anything else that that comes to mind that you think would be helpful for the listener? Yeah, Paul's addressing a self reliant gospel, and that's exactly what asceticism is. Uh, back in the context of the Colossians, uh, it was extreme deprivation. It was uh, you know suffering for Christ uh, to an extreme, or or putting your body through things that are that are unpleasant. You know, one commentary I read said that that some of the Colossians were climbing uh, atop these pillars and actually seeking to live atop a pillar under the heat of the sun, never coming down to suffer for God. Just these extreme things they were doing, but it's an addition to the gospel. And when I say a self-reliant gospel, we know from, from Galatians that there is no other gospel. Paul says if there's any other gospel, you know, it's not true. So that's what asceticism is in a nutshell. It's in my context or in my summation, it would be adding to the gospel more than the work of Christ. It would be saying that I need to do certain things to earn the favor of God. And we were talking a little bit earlier, but we see it in our world today more than ever. And it may not be as far as suffering to deprive ourselves, but, but it's additions to the gospel. And this is one of the worst things that could ever happen, because this is why we're seeing churches that are detracting from the gospel. The message is being watered down, uh, and, and the sheep are starving for truth. Well, that's right. And, and let, let's, do, let's make Paul Washer proud, and let's explain for the listener, and I do it all the time on this podcast, but I'm wondering if you would just explain what you mean for for the listener who just wanders by here and tunes in, what do you mean when you say the gospel so that we can then know what we mean when we say adding to the gospel? Sure, sure. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died in our place for our sin. Uh, and we know as Christians, the age old story that Jesus died on the cross. Uh, I think everyone that claims the name of Christ and, and is even in a church can express that Jesus died for our sins. I think we miss the depth of the, the cross and the depth of the gospel, though. It's not only that, that Christ died for our sins, but he also lived the perfect life that was required by God for fellowship. And we leave that out a lot of times. That's you right. know, I, we, we, we were dead in our sins. I think it even goes so far as to understand that phrase, that we were unable uh, to come to Christ because, as Paul said in Romans 3, that no one understands God. No one seeks God without his supernatural regeneration. Uh, so the gospel is that Jesus did uh, come. He died uh, for our sins, lived the perfect life that was required, and then imputed to us his righteousness, um, therefore taking upon himself our sin. Um, again, that's a summation. That's a small nutshell of the gospel. But, you know, John, the more I study the scriptures and the more I know Christ, it's harder for me almost to explain the gospel in a in a snap picture, five seconds or five minutes summation, yep. because it's so much bigger. It's so much bigger. And the more you know of Christ, the bigger it gets. That's right. And so the gospel is incredibly simple and straightforward. Uh, just as you said, it the gospel includes uh, this, this good news of Jesus Christ includes the fact that that we are justified before God by faith, by faith yeah. alone in Christ alone. 
but the implications of the gospel. So here, here's the beauty of it and where I really want to take us in this conversation, that the implications of the gospel for us are not only is it sufficient, is the gospel sufficient for our salvation, um, but but it is sufficient for our lives, for, for walking by faith. The gospel, we are to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Hmm. Yes. And we forget the gospel. As Martin Luther said, we, we need the gospel just as much as, as an unbeliever needs the gospel because we are self-sufficient. We are prone to fall back on our default mold of, of trying to earn God's favor or do it ourselves. Uh, you know, I see this a lot of times, even in the missional efforts of churches, and, and we're prone to do this as far as let's go go save the lost for God, let's charge the mission field, uh, and that's a great mentality, but the one thing miss, missing many times, and, and this is just an example, where's the prayer? Because without Christ, without His power, we can do nothing. We forget uh, that that everything, we, we rely on Jesus for everything. You know, it said this in Romans chapter 10, verse 2, Paul wrote that, and he was speaking of the Israelites uh, that were kind of departing from the faith, but Paul said they have a zeal for God without knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that totally describes the world we're living in right now uh, to a big part that we have many people in church. Churches are booming now today, but there's a zeal there. There's a passion there for God or the name of Jesus without knowledge. There's no knowledge. And, and you have to ask, if you don't have the knowledge of the biblical Christ, are you truly passionate about the biblical God? Well, we, we didn't plan this, but you just, you just teed up my next question uh, beautifully, because I think the pattern that I see among Christian families, and again, this, this comes from my students and their families over many, many years, and even watching them develop into young adulthood and their families continuing to grow and develop. As I look at, I see very good intentions. I see lots of religious form. I even see evangelicals who are starved for Christian perspective. They want to follow Christ and they consume Christian literature, Christian books sometimes. Um, and I, I, I think about people, just just to name a few easy ones, uh, you, you and I have a, an admiration for the work of uh, Tim Challies, and he, he wrote on uh, five worst books ever written or something like that in an essay. And, and he, he called out Bruce Wilkinson for The Prayer of Jabez. I think, I think the subtitle is uh, Breaking Through to the Blessed Life. Mark Batterson, uh, another book called The Circle Maker, Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen, you're aware of some of those ministries that sort of, I believe, prey on the desire to grow and they twist truth. There, there is some truth in, in some of the things they teach, but they combine it with our tendency, our human tendency to be greedy. So I'm wondering if you could just talk about for a minute where can a Christian go? So, so now that I name some names there, I'd, I'd throw Robert Morris at Gateway Church in Dallas in there too, and probably many others who, who I would consider false teachers or at least teachers who aren't holding clearly to the truth of the gospel that you just outlined in its simple form without adding to it. Where can a Christian go if you put your pastoral counseling hat on, somebody knocks on your door and says, I need help understanding the essential truths of Scripture where would you send them so that they avoid this self-reliant tendency that we just read about in Colossians? Yeah, I think the very first place that, that anyone should go to seek truth uh, is the Word of God. Um, I mean, that is ultimate truth. If we're not studying our scriptures, we're not going to know ultimate truth, and, and we're not going to know the true God of Scripture. But other than that, there's great supplements that we can use Tim Challies, you mentioned his blog, and you can Google that, but, but he's a wealth of knowledge, and he's very, very accurate. He's very biblical uh, with what he says. Uh, also, um, your former pastor, uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul, he has a podcast as well that's still going on, Ligonier, uh, that you can download right to your smartphone, and it's full of, of weekly information and weekly uh, sermons and all doctrinal, all very sound. You know, and I could go on and on. There's, there's so many great Bible teachers from Paul Washer to, to Steve Lawson, and, and you could go just on and on. But, but with anybody, and I, I even tell my congregation this, 
anybody you listen to, any any article you read, any podcast that you're you're playing in your car as you drive down the road, it shouldn't be taken at face value, no matter who it is. That's right. You should always have the scriptures open. You should always be vetting what anybody says uh, through the Word of God. And again, I, I tell my congregation that that that's the importance uh, of having your Bible open even when you're in church, because you don't want to take the the word of a man. You know, Paul commended the the Berean Jews because they were ones who would search the scriptures, even listening to the Apostle Paul. They didn't take his word for it. Uh, They were searching the scriptures to see if what he said was true. So again, you see, everything goes back to the word of God. There are great resources that we could list. Uh, Wretched Radio is another great podcast. Todd Friel uh, is a wonderful uh, servant of Christ, and he's actually coming to our church in September for a marriage conference. But there are so many great resources, but the ultimate one is the Word of God. And and if we're not vetting everything that we hear and read and take into our minds through God's Word, then then we're apt to be led astray. And, and you mentioned people like Robert Morris, and, and there's other books. There's very popular books that are written. Uh, you know, the, the problem that we run into as far as Christian bookstores, they have tales of uh, people visiting heaven and hell and you know, those are the most popular books right now that are being sold in, in Christian bookstores. And yep. it's, I shudder to call them Christian bookstores at times because that's mysticism. That's not Christianity. And that's just a small example right there that many people flock to these things because, as, as Romans chapter 10 says, there's a zeal for God in many people, but no knowledge of the God of the Bible. Mm. That's exactly right. And I'm just imagining as you're describing that, I'm imagining somebody walking up to the doors of a Christian bookstore, walking inside the doors of a big Christian bookstore full of, quote unquote, Christian books, evangelical books. And I'm thinking buried in there are these authors that you're talking about, that you and I are talking about who are good and maybe four or five or 10 times the material that would have false teaching that would lead folks astray. You mentioned Bible reading and prayer, that was that was your first phrase when you answered this question, and that's my answer to this question because I believe it's Scripture's answer to this question, but practically, when you say Bible reading and prayer, what does that look like, do you think, in, in the life of a Christian who wants to grow? Is it, would you recommend the English Standard Version, the New American Standard, is there a favorite translation that you would steer this audience to, and I'm old school, and I I believe that I need to be disciplined in my life without being ascetic, and I need to do this every day, and I do it in the morning, because if I don't do it in the morning, my day gets away from me, and I I might kind of hit or miss in the afternoon, but I like to devote some time to scripture reading and meditation and study and prayer but what are your thoughts from a pastor's perspective on advising people on kind of how to do that practically? Yeah, I think that the English Standard Version and the New American Standard, they're probably my top uh, favorites. Um, they're very, very close to the original uh, transcript of, of Scripture. Uh, New, New King many... James is probably okay as well. Yeah, absolutely. New King James. Uh, again, there's there's great ones. I, I would steer away from there's one called the the message. <laughs> I would steer away from that one. That isn't you know? a translation. That's a sociologically correct commentary, kind of. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, there are there are a lot of things that are wrong with that, uh, but but I think the English Standard Version and uh, New American are very very sound, as well as New King James. And you know you you can do your research on those. But again, there's no substitute, like you said, for God's word. And, and if we do substitute things for God's Word, if we go to, as you were saying, if we, we have a diet of Christian books without any knowledge of God, well, then you're going to go to two different sides of the spectrum. You're going to go either to legalism or you're going to go to antinomianism. And, and very briefly, I'll explain legalism is, is what the Pharisees did, adding to the law of God, uh, adding more rules and more regulations uh, that were not mentioned in Scripture, yep. to try to be more holy. And antinomianism is just the opposite. It, it is to say we're saved by grace. God has to forgive so I can live my best life now and, yep. and indulge in the world. And uh, just he, he's got to be fine with that. You just mentioned a book title from one of those guys that I mentioned, what, yeah, uh, I, My Best Life Now or Your Best Life my Now. My Best Life Now. Yep. <laughs> Uh, Joel Osteen. Yeah, yep. that's right. Didn't didn't mean to give him a plug on your podcast, but stay away <laughs> yeah, from that. <laughs> that's exactly right. 
Hey, I, I want to interrupt you and just, I, I'll tell you what I picture when you say that. And I, I, I teach this stuff to uh, high school 11th and 12th graders who are really smart and godly young people. And I'm blessed to get to, to do that. And I, I, in my own crude way, when I talk about legalism and antinomianism, I first explain antinomianism is, is against, literally against the law and kind of hyper grace and all that sort of falls into that. But legalism, when we read about the Pharisees in scripture, you know, they were legalistic. They get a lot of ink in the New Testament for a reason. And I, I think it's because we tend to to do that. I think asceticism is is a subset, maybe, and I might not have this right for our seminary friends, but it's kind of a subset of, of legalism. So I picture um, a, a spectrum across the front of the classroom when you're talking, and I see antinomianism on one side, legalism on the other, both deviating from the principle you talked about earlier, which is preaching the gospel, relying on the gospel for our lives. Can you just comment a little further on that? Yeah, it's, it's a, a distortion of the gospel. It's taking it either too far or not far enough. And it goes back to not knowing the God of Scripture. But it, feels good. it feels good it to feels us. Good. It seems religious. Well, you hit the nail on the head. And, and that's one of the biggest problems that we're running into in evangelicalism today is we rely more on what feels good or what seems right to define our Christianity. I'll, I'll give you an example. One of my burdens is true salvation or, or people knowing the God of the Bible for real and knowing that they are truly saved as in as far as what, what God requires for salvation. Amen. And what we see in, in a lot of churches, unfortunately, is this rush to get people saved so much so that we do this with our with our kids a lot of times, not our kids, you and I, but culture does this in the evangelical world with, with their children as far as, you know, a VBS, a vacation Bible school. And there's such a rush to get the child to, to run down the aisle, but to say the sinner's prayer and, and raise their hand for Jesus. And we can duck them in the water and raise them out and then declare them saved. Well, one thing that's been left out of that, that whole equation is brokenness over sin. Is there any brokenness in the child or let's go further in the adult? Is there brokenness over their sin or is it simply to feel guilted into walking that? To feel like, well, maybe if I just do these things, uh, I can accept Christ and live an antinomian Christianity. We've forgotten the doctrine of repentance. Even we talked about regeneration last time, but let's let's take it back a step. Repentance is missing in that equation. That's right. Uh, in our gospel evangelism, do we uh, do we make the cry for people to repent of their sins and believe, or do we just say, "Raise your hand for Jesus"? Mm. And, and that's powerful. You and I both kind of told our the stories of our lives in the, that last time we were together. And we talked about that, you know, walking an aisle and, and kind of going on somebody's list and, and being told you're a Christian now. And you're absolutely right. Brokenness over sin, faith in Christ, turning. It really is turning our reliance from us, ourselves, to completely not completely, imperfectly, trusting in and relying on him by faith and on his the depths of his finished work. And, and that is uh, when a person understands the true gospel and truly repents and has faith in Christ, that, that truly is the moment of, uh, of regeneration, of salvation. Absolutely. And, and we have to ask, you know, we talk about the fear of the Lord, but before that, or, or let's say after regeneration, is there a fear of sin? And when we've been made new by Christ, is there a repulsion of sin? I'm not talking perfection. I'm not talking about that we never fall into sin. We must absolutely do because we're in the flesh. But I'm saying, is there a brokenness when we do sin? Or is it just something to say, well, we look at our sin and say, well, you know, I remember the day that I signed the dotted line and was baptized. So Jesus has to forgive me. More than brokenness, is there a fear of sin? Is mm-hmm. if you're walking up on a rattlesnake, is there a fear of going near that? Or is it something that we just toy with and kind of hang our salvation or, or rather baptism maybe in the rearview mirror and say, I can go near this sin because I've done these things. And here's the problem. And I'm wondering if you could just comment on this without 
you know, you do such a good job of, of speaking in a pastorally helpful way. So I don't even need to qualify it without doing seminary talk. I don't, I don't have to say that with you, <laughs> but, and seminary is wonderful. Don't get me wrong, but there's a tendency that we have in the Christian life to say, wait a minute, I'm going to superimpose my logic, my rational thinking onto God. I picture it on a, on a whiteboard. I'll just write the word God and circle it. And then a little stick figure man down below. And I'll say to students, this, it is so important. And they, they get sick of me saying this because I say it often. It is so important for us to know who God is, who man is, and how God actually relates to man. Because, and here's where I'm going with this, these teachers that we just named and a host of others, including many of the pastors in churches across America and across the world, but, but we're, we're talking about the U.S. today, there's a tendency to introduce error in, in teaching that sounds to humans, us humans who, who come at this with, with a, a desire to grow, it sounds logical. It passes some of the, the tests of, of logic and yet is not consistent with Scripture. Yes. Well, it's, it's what we're seeing again in the world. Go back to one of the podcasts you did uh, recently on the social justice movement. That's an aberrant gospel, and it's come because of what you just said. Uh, it sounds right. It sounds good. It feels good. All of these, it feels good. It feels right. And you know, in the evangelical culture, unfortunately, we hear more talk about what feels good or what seems to be right or my opinion or this is what I think. Well, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's, it's not about what I think or what I feel. It's about what God says and what his word says. And there, there was a, a study many years ago. You've probably heard of it. Uh, I've, I've done it before, in fact. But uh, it was Henry Blackaby experiencing God. Very, very popular study in the 80s, I believe, maybe oh, 90s. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and, and again, I'm not knocking Henry Blackaby, not knocking the study. Uh, I'm simply looking at the name of this study, Experiencing God. Well, as far as I've seen through Scripture, there is nothing— Nothing in the in the pages of Scripture that commands me to experience God, but there are many many scriptures that say that I must know God. And again, that that's the mindset though in, in the culture is if it feels right, if it, if it's good, if it seems to be what I think God would be like, then it must be true. It must be Christianity. Without cross referencing this with actual Scripture, we go off feelings and emotions and authors that we read without looking at the source of ultimate truth. Not only that, and I want to tell people about your, if, you, if you're comfortable with me doing this, and I have a feeling you will be, I want to tell people about your where you are, how to find you on Facebook. Is that okay? Sure, it, absolutely. It's, it's Charlie Lacey Parish, P-A-R-R-I-S-H. One R. Oh, I'm sorry, one R. It's e- easy <laughs> to, I, I, I do have it in front of me and know that. It's easy to find, and you post truth. You post both scripture and you post concepts or quotes from a group of people who I consider kind of heroes of the faith who have, uh, and again, I'm not suggesting, I think your advice was really good, and that is uh, test all teaching by scripture itself. Uh, so I'm not saying go to go to Charlie's Facebook page and believe every, every word everybody in every quote ever said, but God gave us pastors who are gifted, and you are one of them, and our audience can have the benefit of your effort to decipher and present truth, and I just think that's powerful. I have several friends who found you through my connection with you and find that a blessing, so I would encourage this audience, if you're kind of sitting and thinking, well, I don't know even where to start, or I really liked Bruce Wilkinson's book before you just slammed it, or I I follow Joel Osteen's teaching and and it makes me feel good. I think right. to go to scripture, people need need the help of a good pastor. And what concerns me, and I'm headed someplace with this, but what, what concerns me about false teaching is all of the biblical instruction about the weight of being a teacher or being a pastor, even the qualifications for those things. And so even as we discuss this topic, I want to be careful to be true to scripture. And I, I believe we've done that today, but I just think that relying on good pastors who, relying to some degree on good pastors who vetted these truths is an important tool for us to avail ourselves of. And you're one of those 
people. I had I had somebody on social media who asked me if you were my pastor, and I explained that you're in Marble Hill, Georgia, and I'm in just north of Orlando, Florida. And I, I wish uh, you were from time to time, and uh, and I wish that for several reasons. I know Chip and others in your congregation I've had the pleasure of meeting, and I know your order of worship, your culture, and you as a as a teacher, preacher, pastor, and value that ministry. And I but tell the audience, if you would, just in a in one trivial moment here, where Marble Hill, Georgia is and why it's the most beautiful place on earth, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's uh it's Foothills Community Foothill. Church. That's what makes it the most beautiful place. That that is one <laughs> of the things, no kidding. It's uh it's right between Dawsonville and Jasper, Georgia, and uh, Foothills Community Church. It's in Marble Hill, and uh, just a beautiful place. Mountains and, you know, the seasons, you get to have all the seasons, and um, it's just a, a wonderful place to be. And, and anytime anybody is visiting, we'd love for you to, to come by and, and worship with us any Sunday morning uh, at 1030. But, but, you know, one one thing you were, you were talking about, John, it really struck me at this whole conversation. Uh, it goes back to, to Paul's words in Second Timothy. And, you know, Paul uh, told Timothy that there was coming a day uh, in the latter days where people would basically uh, worship their feelings, that they would go off of what they felt or, or what seemed right, and they would be disobedient, and, and they would have the appearance of godliness. Now, that's key. They would have the appearance of godliness. Yes. Uh, but all the while not knowing him. So that's the biggest fear of mine, uh, even for myself. Mine too. Uh, that, that that I would have the appearance of godliness or even begin to think myself uh, right with God because of being a pastor or whatever it is. You know, that's why you said a minute ago the, the danger of pastoral ministry, because even we are, you know, we're prone to, to receive the darts of Satan and we're prone to, uh, to, to everything that any, anybody else is, is prone to, you know, falling away from the faith. Uh, that's why we must be grounded uh, Going back to Scripture, I know it sounds redundant, but that really is the key to everything, to develop a love for the Word of God over anything else. That's so true. And as I think about those ministries I named, I'll tell you something funny, and I bet you had the same experience. When I was younger, I would have considered, I'm talking decades ago, I would have considered their teaching to be among the acceptable teaching out there. I sat under teaching that was by well-intended pastors, several come to mind, who are no longer uh, here on this earth, but who were a mile wide and an inch deep. And I, I came into adulthood with this very shallow understanding. So I talk about this, not like I'm critiquing, you know, doing a book review. I come at this and you come at this from the standpoint of it is so important to talk about the truths of theology, the truths of the gospel, the true doctrine, because it informs our lives and how we're to live as we walk by faith. And it is very practical and essential. This isn't a, a book report or a, or a book review even. It's a much deeper subject than that. Yes. You know, I have a good friend uh, who recently shared with me that growing up, he really didn't question his pastor, not that his pastor wasn't a godly man. Uh, but he was wrong in many areas of doctrine. And when he began to read things in Scripture that contradicted with the, the pastor's teaching, he was basically told when he asked this pastor, you know, well, don't worry about that or don't don't concern yourself with these doctrines or these things. And so he never questioned it, really, until he began reading more and more in Scripture. And the more that Scripture contradicted the pastor, uh, he began to see the true gospel. And, and I think that there's a more of a fear of man today than there is a fear of God in that mm. in that same realm, if you know what I mean. It's uh, don't question my authority here on earth, the pastor or whoever it is. You know, he's got to be right. It, it's akin to, you know, and I hate to say it's akin to Catholicism to where when we served as missionaries in Panama, my wife and I, uh, it is predominantly a country of, of Catholicism. And when we would ask the natives or the people that lived there, uh, the, the, the Guamis uh, that we were ministering to, we would ask them about their faith. We've got the same answer over and over. It was pretty much, go ask the priest. We don't really know what we believe. Uh, they, they had no idea. He tells us what to believe, and we just do it. And you see that same mentality 
in our culture today here in America. It's, you know, I really don't know Jesus. Uh, You hear this in evangelism. If you ask people if they evangelize, if they talk to their neighbors about Christ, uh, one of the big answers that that many people will, will come back with is, well, I really don't know that much about Scripture, so I don't evangelize. But I've got a, but I've got a fish on my bumper. Exactly, I've got a fish on my bumper. I've got a "What Would Jesus Do" T-shirt. You know, I, I'll tell you that I love Jesus. I just don't know that much about him to talk to somebody else. Well, there's a contradiction in there to say that I love Jesus, but I really don't know him. Going back to your favorite football team, if you're talking about that, you would be gladly telling other people about your favorite football team because you know every statistic there is about the team because you know your team. Yet when it comes to Christ, there's a big, big contradiction in the way we speak of saying, I love Jesus, I just don't know that much about him. And that shouldn't be a crutch. That should be a shame on me. Did you just pay tribute to Nick Saban again? I did. I did. I snuck that in. I thought you you might have. Um, That was subtle. That was supposed to be subtle. Can I just say the roll tide sort of under my breath and get that out of the way for you? You did. You did. I'm so glad you're coming around to the light side. Good. Well, (laughs) the truth you're talking about is so powerful. And as you were talking, Charlie, I was thinking, uh, I was thinking about social justice again. And when I, when I say that, I mean, I mean a bunch of stuff. That's the, that's the big topic for all of the uh, tendency that, that we have to worship man errantly in our sociology today. And with that comes critical race theory and a bunch of other things that, that I've talked about for weeks now on this podcast. And we don't need to, to go dig that up again necessarily. But, but I'm just wondering, there's this awkwardness. So we have cancel culture in place now today. And I don't think you and I, I certainly didn't, and I don't think you did face that when we were young. And so now in addition to all the pressure that we've talked about in this conversation, all the need that we have to to gain in, in knowledge of the Lord through scripture and prayer, through his means of grace, in addition to that need, now we have people from society at large, I almost said from the left, but I mean, it's a huge number of people. We are definitely in the minority today who will cancel or otherwise oppose or even condemn and call us bigoted or or racist. I'm even familiar with a a loan program the United States government has, and they they accuse Christian organizations now, today, not, not this isn't something in the future. They accuse Christian organizations who actually stand for truth with respect to the social justice issues like transgenderism as in, as just one small example, they accuse those organizations of, of being guilty of civil rights violations. So we live in a culture now where I think truth, biblical truth is opposed from within as we've been discussing in this through, through bad teaching, as we've been discussing in this podcast, but it's also a challenging thing to, you know, we'll, we'll get pushback from our last conversation together and this one for actually telling the truth. And that's another challenge. We are, we are not of this world. And with all due respect to being concerned about asceticism, uh, we also have to be concerned about the fact that we are countercultural. You know, if, if you're not getting pushback from the world as a Christian, I have to wonder if you're telling any truth at all, because the yes. world will push back. Uh, you've mentioned the transgender movement. And we're seeing that moving in upon the church as well, you know, asking to be for the same rights as as anyone else as far as church membership and those kind of things. And even in that, this this shows you how a misunderstanding of the gospel, if you don't know the gospel, if you don't know the God of the Bible, it affects everything else, including uh, what the church is biblically. Uh, And the church is not just some organization that should lovingly accept anybody that comes in just as they are. Now, now let me clarify. We want everyone to come to the church as far as services and those kind of things. We want the, the believer and the unbeliever to come. But when it comes to membership, when it comes to actually being a part of the body of Christ, that's not a club. That, that's not a, a membership as in uh, the good old boys game. That is the redeemed body of Christ, those who are saved and regenerated, uh, and believe in the biblical Jesus. So we've got to clarify even what the church is today. That's one of the biggest misunderstandings 
that's causing a lot of problems in the culture is there's no respect for the Word of God, and therefore there's no uh, leaning upon the true definition of what the church is. So, so truth is being attacked all over. When you don't know the God of Scripture, it's going to affect everything, and then your whole worldview is not going to be centered on Christ. It's going to be centered on what feels right. And again, we come back to that topic of asceticism. It, it, it all interconnects together. And this is not something new that we're seeing, as, as you mentioned opening up. This is something that the Colossian church was dealing with. We're just repeating the same heresy that they are in our culture. Well, that's right. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Keith Abloh last week talked about having a longer view of things instead of just this immediate gratification that we have immediate reaction, immediately being canceled, immediately wanting to be popular, wanting clicks and likes. I even say it at the beginning of the podcast. And actually, I don't care one bit about that, especially in the context of telling the truth. I want to be all about proclaiming the truth of God's word and perhaps offering helpful input uh, along the way. And I think we've done that in this conversation. I want to switch gears in the remaining time that we have and talk about a challenging subject from a pastor's perspective. I think this issue underlies a lot of others that we, we humans deal with, and that is guilt and fear. I have never counseled anyone. I mean, maybe, maybe a student here and there academically or even spiritually to some degree, but, uh, but, but always in passing. So you are engaged in pastoral ministry vocationally. I'm just wondering if you could talk about this underlying problem that we humans have with guilt and fear and how to, how to view them properly and how to address them. Well, on a base level, guilt and fear without God is just trying to be our own savior. It's saying that I need to carry my own burdens, I need to carry my own cross, and my sins, I'm going to carry them and, you know, basically beat myself, crucify myself for them, uh, when that's exactly why Jesus died, uh, to carry our sins, to take them away as far as the East is from the West, that we would walk rightly now before Him under grace, uh, realizing the power of the cross in gratitude, and, and if we truly have a guilt and fear over sin, over things that we've done in our past, and we realize the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus did die uh, to make us justified before God, that we would be declared right, then we see him as, as such a huge Savior, and we want to walk rightly. Now, now also, when we talk of guilt and fear, um, we, we've got to understand that rightly. Uh, do we have a fear of God? You know, there's a difference between having a fear of, of God as a, as a sinner and a fear of God as more of a respect uh, of God as a Christian, right. of his power, of his authority, of his sovereignty. Um, you know, the, the guilt also in the realm of our salvation, I believe we should have a brokenness. I think that's, a, you know, a better term as a Christian to describe it, a brokenness in us over our sin. But again, when we fall at the feet of the cross and we repent of those sins, we cast those on Christ. Uh, you know, we, 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 we try to walk anew only by His grace, only by His power. And even when I say those things, we're so inundated with the way we talk, with, you know, saying that I, I pick myself up. Uh, listen, I can't pick myself up as a dead man broken in sin. It's only by the power of Christ that I can turn anew, that I can walk right. So, so even looking at my salvation and seeing that Christ did save me, did regenerate me, it should cause in every Christian a desire, not a guilt anymore, but a desire now to walk for him, to live for him. When we look at the laws of God, uh, they shouldn't be a burden to us as believers. It should be, as King David said, honey on my lips. It's beautiful because he's taken away that which burdened me. Uh, the, the best illustration, we, we read this book to our children, is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And, and you know the story. If you haven't read it, uh, I highly recommend Pilgrim's Progress. But uh, Christian is the main character in the story, and he's carrying uh, what the book calls a burden on his back. Uh, pictures drawn depict this, this huge, heavy backpack that represents sin. And when he comes to the cross, when, he's, when he places his eyes on Christ, that backpack rolls away. Now, his troubles don't go away in the story. He still encounters many troubles, 
and many things that cause him uh, tribulation. Uh, but he's, he doesn't have that burden anymore uh, because it's been cast aside. Mm. So, again, I think that's a beautiful imagery right there. I think that fear and guilt are redefined under the power of the cross. We look at them differently. Uh, it is now repentance. It is now brokenness. Uh, and it is now spawning us to walk anew in him. So you're saying that, and I agree with this, that our anxiety, to use maybe a more modern word, our anxiety can come from and often does come from this, again, back to this sin of self-sufficiency. It's putting pressure on ourselves, it, relying on ourselves to do something that we can't do. Right, exactly. And let's look at it. You know, you mentioned fear. We, ha- we have so many fears today, fear of war fear of different things, of sickness, you know, fear of losing family. The the economy tanking. The economy tanking, all of these things. But again, even that is rooted in a a disability or or an inability to acknowledge the biblical God. If we truly Mm. believe that God is sovereign and he is handling everything, everything flows through his hands, uh, then then we have no fear. I, I love the depiction of the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. You know, Philippians is known to us believers in in Christian circles as the book of joy, because Paul is just bubbling over with joy in the book of Philippians. But if you know the context of that book, it puts it all in perspective that Paul is in prison, not knowing if he's ever going to get out. He's writing to the church in Philippi. uh, And if I was Paul, I would probably be complaining a little bit about where I was and, and worrying. But there's no element of worry or fear in the writing of Paul to the Philippians because he knows whether he lives or whether he dies, it's in the hand of Christ. Uh, and it's going to happen the way Christ has already preordained. And so Paul, he puts all of his faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't concern himself with, with fear because he trusts that God is doing what is best uh, for the life of the Apostle Paul and for the glory of Christ in general. So, so even, even it goes back to this, the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. If we believe in these things, as Charles Spurgeon once said, that the sovereignty of God is actually the doctrine which is the pillow to which we lay our head upon in any time of trouble. Mm. So true. And I, I, I think, uh, as you were just talking, I was thinking about the fact that Paul went on in his teaching to, therefore, because of everything you just said, he had the ability to value God's use of suffering in his life. So, so he didn't spend a lot of time, I don't think, wringing his hands over a war or over the direction of the economy or over whether or not he was going to have food next week or whether or not he was in shackles. He knew, and he clearly points this out, that God uses challenges, suffering, adversity to make us steadfast in our faith. And that, that is so right. counterintuitive to our culture today. Well, today it's, it's a God molded in the image of secular humanism, even in Christian circles, I hate to say. Yes, that's it's right. That, it's that God who, you know, basically he's deistic. He's far off. He's uh, unconnected to his creation. And you hear it all the time that when bad things happen, oh, the devil's winning today or he's getting the better of God. We just need to pray that God uh, gets the better of the devil. Well, there's no cosmic arm wrestling competition going on as If there's (laughs) calamity going on in the world, God is allowing that calamity for the purpose of a good we may or may not even ever see. But God's fully in control. Satan is, uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, Satan is God's dog on a leash. He can only go so far. Oh, that's beautiful. That's exactly right. Well, we've talked about so much truth. I'm going to save some content for another time if you'll come back. This is just a rich blessing I know we, we jumped around through several topics, but I think the theme, again, and I'm thankful for this theme, is the gospel and, and our, our desire to be uh, self-sufficient in, in that context. And I don't think you need to apologize even for saying that the church is part of the problem, because that, that is where a lot of us have gone for many years for comfort only to find, and that's that's not a universal criticism of the church, it's a criticism of many, though, only to find that that secular humanism, even, dare I say, postmodernism, this post-truth world, is alive and well in many of our churches and denominations. And so we're right back at the beginning where we go to Scripture for truth uh, as our source of 
absolute truth. Any closing thoughts, Charlie, before we go? I think we covered a lot. I, I, I think that one of the big problems, though, this kind of sums everything up, that we've we traded mission, the mission of Christ for methodology, uh, how to get them in the door, how to keep them in the door, regardless of its scripture. We've added so many different elements to the church uh, that we can hardly even call it the biblical picture of the church anymore. I'll give you one parting example. Uh, many years ago, this was in 1920s, 1930s, McDonald's, which you know McDonald's is known for, for grease and hamburgers. That's their, their yep. MO. Yep. But, but many years ago, in the 20s, I believe it was, they introduced pizza to their menu. And, and as you read about this, it was detrimental. I mean, it went over like a lead balloon. Nobody wanted it. And the reason is because people were saying, you're known for hamburgers. I, I don't come to you for pizza. You know, you're changing what I thought you were. And I use that example because the church is kind of doing the same thing. We're to be uh, image bearers of Christ, number one, but also proclaiming the gospel, teaching the gospel. That's why we are here. Uh, we're not here to put on shows. We're not here to entertain people. We're not here to create uh, all of these different things that you see now in the world today. And, and granted, I'm not saying that, that certain outreaches and that you, you, you can't do certain outreaches. I think outreaching is fine. It's needed. But I think, you know, the gist of what I'm saying is we add so many, much fluff uh, to what church is, detracting from the gospel, making it secondary uh, and, and all of these other things primary. It's kind of like changing the menu. Uh, the world doesn't know what we are anymore because we're beginning to look so much like the world. Yes. And true biblical truth, if I can say it that clumsily, is gracious, is loving, is emotional even, is relational. But when we water it down, we lose scripture. When we when we water it down, we compromise its efficacy. So I think your testimony is a, that you shared last time is a beautiful example of that. Well, thank you for spending this time. This is an important conversation. I feel like we uh, just scratched the surface. I hope uh, you'll, you'll come on again uh, in a few weeks and let's talk some more especially in the context of knowledge. I think that's so important. This, where do we go for this, even the renewing of our minds in, in Romans 12? I want to talk about that when we're, we're together next. But uh, thank you, Charlie, for coming on and, and sharing these thoughts. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure. Okay, folks, please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please also go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com. For more information, if you would like to connect with Pastor Charlie Parrish, our guest today, you can find him at Charlie Lacey Parrish on Facebook. And uh, if not, contact me through our contact form and I will put you in touch. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.